Support for WRFA is brought to you in part by the United Ways of Chautauqua County. United Way is a nonprofit organization that mobilizes the community to help every person and family improve their lives. Donations to the United Way stay 100% locally in our community and get invested in more than 40 community-based programs. These programs help students achieve academic success, families to be self-sufficient and financially stable, and vulnerable households to get their basic and emergency needs met. The United Ways of Chautauqua County, proud supporters of community radio in Jamestown, New York. To learn more, visit uascc.org or call 716-483-1561. Here's the rebroadcast of the May 25th Community Conversation. The conversation on the challenges and barriers for those living in poverty or near poverty in Chautauqua County. RFA Public Affairs Director Julia Cecil Hanley. According to the 2020 census, 28.1% of the population in Jamestown lives in poverty, with 17.2% living in poverty in all of Chautauqua County. Helping those living in or near poverty is something many agencies in Chautauqua County are involved in. Chautauqua Opportunities, also known as COI, is a community action agency that was created in 1965 as part of President Johnson's War on Poverty under the Economic Opportunity Act of 1964. And in 2016, the city of Jamestown received $1,180,000 from the state for a five-year Empire State Poverty Reduction Initiative. The city contracted with the United Way of Southern Chautauqua County to plan, implement, and evaluate programs aimed at reducing poverty. Our panel tonight includes guests from COI and the United Way, as as well as another guest who also works directly with those who live in poverty. But first... I would like to thank those of you who are listening to the program on our airways on 107.9 FM, as well as those watching online. While we don't have an in-person audience at this event, those watching online are invited to submit questions for our panel using the comments section. If time allows, I will then ask those questions. Please keep the questions brief. Also, this program is made possible through funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting's American Rescue Plan Act Stabilization Grant Fund. And we'll start now with introducing you to our guests. Uh, to my very far right, will be we have Amy Roller, who is the Executive Director for the United Way of Southern Chautauqua County. Next to her, we have Amanda Strait, who is the Deputy Director of Housing and Community Development for Chautauqua Opportunities. And to my immediate right, we have Elia Sostra from Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union. She is the loan officer there. So thank you for all of you for being here tonight. We have a lot of uh, topics to get through on, on this issue. And I want to start first with Amanda, because being at COI, what would you say poverty looks like here in Chautauqua County? Thank you. A lot of times when you hear the word poverty on TV, you see a picture of somebody with ripped clothing living under a bridge with a bag on their back. Um, Yes, that can be what poverty looks like, but that's not generally what you would see. Um, Poverty can look like a single mother with three children that's working three different jobs trying to fight to find childcare. It could be a single individual that... Um, just got hurt at work and isn't eligible for certain benefits and is waiting for their disability to kick in. Poverty doesn't necessarily come in one form, but it it has a, a feeling attached to it. Um, it's a fear of not knowing what, what the right decision is to make. Um, should I pay my electric bill or should I buy food for my children? Um, and my money to make it to my next paycheck. So yes, poverty can look a certain way, but I think it's really more important to focus on the feeling that comes with it. So, Aelia, what would you say uh, from what you've seen, what poverty looks like here in our county? Um, I would say um, working at Southern Chautauqua, I've seen people that come in um, that minimum wage is really not enough to be able to have a rent payment and pay your bills and be able to have a car, um, pay insurance, you know. Um, I've had people that are on fixed income, you know, that also can't afford to have transportation because of that. So I've seen... I've seen my a share of, of people that come in looking for 
payday lending, you know, because they can't make ends meet even if they have a job. That is uh, thinking about when you say fixed income, is that like Social Security? Yes. Like so senior citizens who have worked? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Amy, so obviously you, working in United Way, you see a lot of things throughout the county. What would you say poverty looks like in our area? I mean, I think both um, Alia and Amanda made really great points that um, sometimes poverty means you're working. That you you have an income, mm -hmm. but you may still be below the federal poverty line. Or um, sometimes we think when we think of poverty, you might think of generational poverty. You know, somebody who's been part of a family that's been on public assistance for a long time, um, and that again, like you you see that in Chautauqua County, um, but it's it can be seniors um, who. You know, a, bunch, a lot of seniors are live in poverty in Chautauqua County um, because they do have that fixed income, and the pension or the Social Security button isn't enough. Um, I think poverty can look like, it, you know, single single heads of household. It's almost impossible to make ends meet mm -hmm. if that's the the family composition um, for poverty. And and it's a lot. I mean, think about this. You said the statistic at the beginning that in Jamestown, if we focus on Jamestown, 28% of households in Jamestown are in poverty. You know, that's one-third of all of the households in Jamestown. That's just below the federal poverty line. When you add in financial hardship, which includes uh, what maybe we've traditionally called the working poor, um, it, at United Way, we, we call it ALICE, Asset Limited Income Constrained Employed. I don't know if I should say that again. <laughs> Asset Limited. Uh, so maybe they have a car, maybe not. Maybe they have a house, maybe not. Um, income Constrained, um, and then but employed, working. When you factor in those households, it's actually 57% of households in Jamestown that are in financial hardship. What we would say it's financial hardship. And in Chautauqua County, it's 48%. So half of households in Chautauqua County are, at any given time, either below the federal poverty line or struggling to make ends meet. You know, sometimes one crisis away from being in poverty or having to make really complicated decisions, like you said, about paying the electric bill or, or you know, buying food, you know, and then you factor in you know, sports equipments for kids and books and all of those extra things that sometimes, you know, public assistance benefits and actually often don't. Mm -hmm. um, it can be challenging, you know. I'm, I'm part of the Jamestown School District. That's where my kids go, and 72% of, of uh, families qualify for free or reduced lunch, um, you know, which means all, all of us have access to that. And so that's, that's a huge portion of youth and families in Jamestown that are affected by having to make some sometimes very complicated financial decisions, very hard decisions. So um, poverty looks like a lot of different things, mm -hmm. maybe is what we're all kind of saying. Mm -hmm. Right. So moving, moving on to get into some of the other questions, according to the, the 2021 Child Care Resource Network study, once you get outside of the metro areas of Jamestown, Dunkirk, the town of Chautauqua, the town of Hanover, much of Chautauqua County is considered a child care desert. And so how does accessing child care affect those in poverty or near the poverty line? And um, Ailey, I'm going to start with you on this question. Um, okay, so I, I have co-workers that have... Uh, Little kids, mine are all all grown for that. <laughs> um, but I, my daughter, you know, I have a son that have um, children as well, and they encounter issues uh, when having to keep a job because of childcare. Um, because you know, we don't have um, many certified. Um, providers that can provide ch child care for you. Um, so then you're pushed to go with somebody that's not certified, that it's also not reliable, okay? So what happens when that person, you know, that is supposed to take care of your children does not show up, then you you miss work and, and you know, you, le you lose that job. Um, 
also I would say along with that, it's it's having transportation. You know, because sometimes you you may have a childcare provider, but you don't have a way to take your children to that establishment. So that way they're taken care. Of, so that way you can um, get to your job. And that you know, and so if you can't get to the job, then you child care, mm-hmm. and it has this cascading mm-hmm. effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and. Um, I know that we have programs that help um, if your income is a certain amount with child care, but if, if you don't qualify, then you're left paying 150 to $300 a week for one child. And you put on top of that, you know, that... Um, most jobs here are the minimum wage is really low, uh, so it's 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 hard. Uh, I can see you know where where people really see an easier choice not to work than than to be you know to have to have those expenses. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to Amy next on when it comes to you know to childcare. I mean this is. What Ailey is talking about, I've heard of this story before, and you've talked about it as well. Um, I think something, I think I've heard it when a benefits cliff is one of those things that affects child care. But what, what else are we seeing affecting child care for those in poverty? So um, I think Alia mentioned it, but um, the cost, the fair market rate in Chautauqua County for an infant is $295 a week. So that's really, you know, that's, a, that's expensive for any family. Mm-hmm. Now imagine you have two children in childcare, mm-hmm. And maybe, not, maybe once, you know, three to five years old, but you still have full-time daycare for your children. That's very expensive. That's a large portion of your income, depending on what it is. So that's, that's difficult. Uh, now, New York State has recently raised, um, you know, if you are 300% above the federal poverty level, you qualify for a subsidy, and that's actually pretty significant. I, I don't have that number in front of me, but I want to say it's somewhere around 82000 You can make $82,000 um, here in Chautauqua County and get some help with that. So that's great. That's great news for families. That's great news for working families. But you also said that Chautauqua County is a child care desert. So even if you have the funds and you get the subsidy, mm-hmm. now you have to find mm-hmm. a place where you can put your infant mm-hmm. in child care. Um, one of the programs that we support through United Way, we actually support three different child care facilities. And one of the reasons we do that is that it's very expensive. And so because those child care facilities get United Way funding, it makes it a little bit less expensive, we hope, for those working families. But um, the YWCA, we recently had a conversation with their executive director, and uh, they have a waiting list for infant care. And um, she said that most of the infants will actually age out before there's an available spot for them because there isn't that many spots here in Chautauqua County. And then you throw in if you're in a rural community or, you know, somewhere where there isn't a licensed child care facility or you can't find a legally exempt provider that you're comfortable with. Um, it's, it's sort of like between a rock and a hard place, right? Yeah. Um, so, and but in order to, you have to, in order to work, you have to have child care. Yes. Um, there's no way out of it, right? Um, so it's just, it's, it's a really tough spot to be in that all, I mean, really, I would say all families experience, whether you're in poverty or not, um, or you're an, an Alice family, or you're someone who's stable with a stable income. Child care is just a really, really huge issue. And, and frankly, most child care workers themselves are in poverty or Alice, because it's very expensive to run a daycare center without some kind of help from the state. Right. Um, so, um, you know, that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of folks are doing advocacy work on a state level to change some of the, the support that child care facilities get from the state so that it actually they can pay and find workers um, and, and trained and qualified workers to care for our children. Uh, but but without that there, it's not, it's not a great business model, to be honest, right. child care. So it's hard for the child care 
workers and it's hard for the daycare owners and it's hard for the parents and mm-hmm. um and then i you know to add one more fun thing to the mix i guess is um let's say you work a job where you have variable hours you work a retail job so maybe some 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 weeks you're 20 hours and some you're 32 and well then a lot of child care facilities they kind of want your child full time you know they don't want you a couple hours here and a couple hours there so then there's some choices you have to make but sometimes you actually go in and out of qualifying for the subsidy cuz you might make too much one week mm-hmm. and then the next week you you sort of are within the the proximity to the subsidies, um, and so it becomes kind of complicated, and it's actually not really that easy to apply for either. The subsidy, um, not as easy as maybe it should be. So it's it it's it sounds like so dire, I guess, but there's a reason you brought up that question first, yes. right? Because it's really a key issue that is often keeping people in poverty because it just doesn't make sense sometimes to work. Right. You're doing what's best for your family, frankly, by not working. Sometimes. Maybe that's a good spot for Amanda to Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I know with Amanda, you, you do, there are some um, services and programs that COI has. And I, I always think, granted it's for a certain age level up, I always think of the Head Start program. But, I mean, in terms of child care, is there, what do you see that you have available at your agency or what are you seeing uh, around the community in general of how, lack of child care or an affordability of child care is affecting those people. Absolutely. So Stock Opportunities runs the early Head Start and Head Start programs throughout the county. Um, and we also have the Child Care Council, which works to um, get daycares licensed and registered and um, helps families find child care. So a lot of this information is coming from um, their program. So it, there's been a 9% drop in child care slot availability between 2018 and 2022, and that's licensed and registered. And that's 9% of a small number of um, facilities. So that's a huge issue. And as Amy mentioned, well, they they both mentioned, the average cost for an infant care in New York State is $17,170 a year. That's more than some people make. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a four-year-old, it's about 15000 So, again, multiple children um, becomes unaffordable. <laughs> um, and a lot of the jobs, so I, I live in Dunkirk, so it's a little bit different than the Jamestown area, but the majority of the jobs in Dunkirk are factory jobs. And if you're starting, you're usually offered second and third shift. Mm-hmm. I am not aware of many, if any, you know, child care providers that cover those shifts, the non-traditional hours, varying hours. Um, so people are turning down jobs. And since COVID, I think most child care facilities in the area have been struggling with staffing. So we have wait lists and we have space, but if we don't have the staff, and a lot of those staff are, they're not taking the positions for all of these reasons. So it's, it's a really interconnected cycle of difficulty. But you know, with COVID, there was a lot of money that came out to help child care providers, so that's a really positive thing. Um, we're working every day. The Child Care Council is working every day to get um, new people licensed and registered. So there, there is hope, but it, it is a huge issue. Mm-hmm. And if I, it's without naming names. I know someone who, you know, is a single mom, is working, and was saying, I just, you know, I'm waiting for my child to become three so I can send them a head start because then I won't have to worry about how I'm working and where they're staying and, and the cost of that. And this is someone, you know, that is, you know, a hard worker, wants to, wants to provide for their family and, and is like one of those just waiting for programs, their child to reach the right age for programs so that they can worry less. So, yeah. So, thing and, and when you're talking about the second and third shift, Amanda, it kind of it flows kind of into our, our next question in a degree because I think about you know childcare it keeps people people need childcare because they want to work, and then we and then just about everybody I talk to, elected officials at least in our, our county, they all say workforce development is a key economic development issue, and that there are jobs here, but there's not enough qualified workers for those jobs. And so when it comes to education and what's in place, 
What, I mean, what is there in place right now that can help those living in poverty? And what challenges are there, I suppose, for maybe accessing that kind of education? Um, Amy, if you, can we start with you on this one? Yeah, workforce development is, is a really, it's a, it's a big issue. Mm-hmm. And it's not just because of the pandemic. It was an issue before the pandemic. You had mentioned ESPRI, Empire State Poverty Reduction. When we were administering that grant program, that was really the focus was workforce development programs Mm -hmm. and funding workforce development programs because we had um, that same issue where there there were jobs, but employers could not find qualified workers. And oftentimes people could get a job, but maintaining it was difficult. Um, Why was it difficult? Well, childcare was an issue. And that's one of the reasons. And because, you know, your kid is sick, what do you have to do? And you don't have anyone, you got to go home and, and take care of them. Um, and, you know, you can't find a child care provider, you know, whatever it might be. Like child care was transportation to get, you know, there. Um, so that that's one of the reasons that, that oftentimes people can get a job, but they lose it because they miss work for a variety of reasons. Um, I will also add about child care and Head Start and any kind of high-quality child care program. That really is key to future academic success. So if we're talking about future workers mm-hmm. in this county, starting them in high-quality early childhood education programs is one of the ways that we're going to build a really quality workforce. And now I know that's a long ways off, but um, that's one of the key indicators of future academic success is is starting very early, you know, in reaching some of those developmental milestones. So, so anyways, um, so so you know, the the challenge of workforce development is is sort of twofold. Yes, there are the hard skills that people need to learn. You know, where you could get um, a job a job in manufacturing and have a pretty highly skilled, you know, position with lots of opportunity for advancement. Those hard skills are really important, um, but. The soft skills are the ones that over and over again, that's what I've heard from employers, is I can teach them how to weld. I can, te- I can send them to a certification class. I can teach them how to run a machine or you know, work as part of a, a team you know, on the factory floor. But what I can't teach is actually what we now don't even call the soft skills. I think the latest iteration is power skills. You know, So that's how to work as part of a team or show up to work on time or... Um, you know, try, you know, be part of this team that others can rely on. Um, how to have a conversation and communicate, you know, with coworkers. Some of those skills that that oftentimes I think they're harder to teach to adults. Probably those social, emotional, relational skills that are really key to success and advancing. Um, and so that's that's been a harder. Um, Thing to achieve, I think, for employers in in Chautauqua County and for mm-hmm. programs that are attempting to teach those skills too. Um, so that that workforce development component really is key to poverty reduction. Is finding ways to um, employ those who are unemployed and underemployed. Mm-hmm. Alia, for the same question, I was thinking it's like. We're talking about, you know, education. Do you see, in terms of getting the education to get into, whether it's manufacturing or whether it's, uh, you know, office-related, office are you seeing people coming in that are don't have access or don't feel like they have access to education and that, in, in your work capacity? What I've seen uh, working at Southern Chautauqua is um, people that, have that are either nurses or electricians, um, but they maybe came from Puerto Rico, okay? And um, because they can't pass the license to be able to work here, they're unemployed. Hmm. Is it is it a language barrier or is it just that the test is so different from... No, from- it's the language barrier. Definitely, yes. I actually uh, have a member that um, in, uh, he came from uh, France, and he was a truck driver there. And he actually tried to get his license here, um, 
but because he couldn't speak the language, they they flunked his his test. That's and that's something that you know we we always hear we need we have a shortage of nurses. Mm -hmm. I have constantly seen advertisements for mm -hmm. people for driving and, mm -hmm. and a variety, and so and here you have people who are mm -hmm. absolutely qualified, if not for the yeah, fact that they they are not a fluent English speaker. Yes, that is correct. I, I also know of a, you know, a registered nurse. She was a registered nurse in Puerto Rico. And here, um, she is just a PCA because she doesn't know the language to be able to get certified to work here, even though she was a registered nurse in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Do you see, I, I don't know if, if any of you know, I mean, are there adult language classes for those who are interested in, who are coming here from wherever they may be to learn how to speak English? Is, do you know? I don't know if a man. There, sure. there are. Um, Erie Tuboses okay. does do some classes. Um, there's some challenges there. So, you know, if I'm working and I want to take an English language class and I work during the day, well, when do they hold those classes? They probably are holding them during the day, mm -hmm. and that's not going to work. You know, so I know that there are some um, there's some entities that are working on doing some English language uh, classes in the evenings and um, possibly through the school district as well and in school buildings. That that's partially in the works, but. Um, there's, there hasn't been, and JCC also, I believe, offers, or it has at points offered um, English as a second language courses, um, but I wouldn't say that they have been over the years really, really like robust or well attended, hmm. um, and maybe that's a, a generalization. It, the pandemic was also pretty difficult on a lot of those courses too, sure. where they just couldn't have them for a period of time. And there were some restrictions on meeting in person and, and that kind of thing. But there, um, there are employers um, I've had conversations with who are willing, they have a group of Spanish-speaking employees. They want to develop those employees so that they can become supervisors and learn more skills. And, and they're willing to have someone come in to the factory, teach English after they're done with their shift at 3 o'clock. They would pay them to learn English um, if they wanted to, mm -hmm. um, but the challenge was finding um, a program that did that. Right. But they were willing to pay for it. And so I had a series of conversations trying to connect them and see if we could be creative, and I'm not sure whatever happened with if they found someone to do that or an organization that would do that. But I think employers are realizing there's a real va they have They have some fantastic employees on their hands that have real potential, and they're willing to invest in them. Um, but um, sometimes, but that, that language barrier is one of those things that has to be overcome in certain settings. Hmm. And to just tie into that really quick, a lot of the positions that are are hiring right now for higher level work, they require a degree. Um, and if you're you're coming from a different area and you don't have the education, that that is a barrier because sometimes there are requirements for that job, that experience, that, that unfortunately that doesn't count. So um, one thing that I, I read that there's an Excelsior program through New York State. So if the family makes less than $125,000, you can get um, free tuition to a SUNY school. And I believe, I think that was 2017 when that started. So it's a wonderful opportunity for for people to get the education that is otherwise unaffordable. But what we see is in New York, because the education is higher level than other areas, I'm not sure if that's still the same, but people get the degrees and then they move out of town. Yeah. We have a lot of people that get teaching degrees and nursing degrees and they go somewhere they go somewhere else, so that's a difficulty as well. But there are programs um, in Dunkirk. The P Tech program is great. They built a, a school specifically around um, its welding and electrical and manufacturing, and that has been very successful. That's so a fantastic program. Mm -hmm. So, but thinking about, I was uh, I was debating about whether I want to move some of these questions around, but I think I could keep in order, keep on track. So, um, 
Talking about New York State, uh, Governor Kathy Hochul and the New York State Legislature are, I think they're still trying to work out on some kind of agreement when it comes to this housing plan that the governor proposed to add 800,000 more housing units in the state to try to address affordable housing issues. Would you say Chautauqua County lacks affordable housing? And what other issues are there when it comes to housing if you're poor? I'm, Amanda, I'm going to start with you. Okay. Um, it is probably, and this is probably biased because housing is my world, but everything is so connected, but housing seems to be right now one of the most difficult issues for families in this county. Um, Post-COVID, everything skyrocketed. There are apartments right now, um, one, two bedrooms for over $1,000 a month that don't include utilities. That's unaffordable for people who, you know, two adults who work in a, in a household. So... Um, Landlords lost a lot of money during the pandemic. Um, there was this notion that people didn't have to pay their rent when really you didn't have to if you had certain circumstances, but it was taken as I don't have to pay my rent because I cannot get evicted. So once the eviction moratorium was up, we're having families come in that owe over a year worth of rent. And yes, there were you know great programs that could help, but <clears throat> once that funding was exhausted, and people are getting evicted, this is a very small community. So finding another place to live that was affordable, you know, we, we are seeing families and individuals staying in shelter that are homeless significantly longer than they ever have. There's a lot of issues with that. Um, in addition, not only do we lack just regular rental apartments, we have a really dire need for permanent supportive housing. Um, there's a lot of substance abuse and mental health concerns um, it, throughout the county, and the lack of supportive housing to support those families, it, it's few and far between. So I'm hoping that with this money and this plan, we can get more of those programs into our community. Um, yeah, so there, there is a lot of hope. We have really great landlords in the community that COI works closely with. Um, we run the Section 8 program, so we're working with all all different families to, to try to find something that works for them, but there's a lot of barriers right now. Alia, mm -hmm. uh, uh, when it comes to housing, are you seeing issues with people not being able to afford housing or, the, or, when it, or finding lack of housing in the area? I would say um, I've seen or heard of uh, some people, some landlords are asking for security deposit first and second month's rent when, you know, they're, they're already increasing the rent payment. You know, you're talking about $900 times three. Um, and if they're in um, fixed income or minimum wage, how, how can you afford that, you know? Um, some other uh, landlords are requiring for you to have good credit in order to be able to qualify to get into an apartment. And I'm thinking, you know, when it comes to having credit, people who have grown up in poverty or are coming from poverty, do they have credit? Exactly. There is, they, they have no, no credit. And that's definitely a challenge. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And gosh, I mean... I mean, that, it's, 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 I'm thinking, is there, are there programs for people to help develop credit? I mean, I don't know, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, we're, it's you're off talking, topic. You're talking to two people that that's what they do every day, yeah. Yeah. help families build credit. Right, and, right, and yeah. it's like, I know that's not part of this question, yes. but it does play into it, in a sense, because we're talking about housing. We now, I mean, we always, they talk about, oh, you have to have good credit when you want to buy a house, but now we're talking, you have to have good credit to rent. This is, yeah, and housing is a very basic yes, need. there's definitely programs that um, help you build your credit, rebuild it. Um, we, have, we have programs like that, but, you know, it takes time. You know, the, the minimum, uh, the shorter one is six months, you know. So if you're looking to get housing, <laughs> then you have to wait six months <laughs> to be able to have, you know, some sort of credit payment history because that's what obviously those these landlords are looking for they're they wanting probably because of all the COVID situation and all the time that they that they weren't having that income they want to make sure that the 
um, has some payment history somewhere, you know, but if they don't have any credit, um, they really can't afford to wait and, and build it. Generally speaking, people pay their housing first if they can, and paying a rent payment is not counted on your credit. So right. your credit score could be horrible, but you could have years and years of on-time rent payments, but that's not captured there. So mm -hmm. that, that is a difficulty that a lot of, a lot of families face. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and especially if, you're, if your goal is one day to buy a house, you can't count decades of, of rental payments. Certain loan programs you can, though, oh, you which can. is great. Um, that's something that's relatively new. Um, but for the Chautauqua Opportunities, we help package USDA loans for rural areas. And if someone's having difficulty, if their credit is just a little bit under, there are ways that you can use rental payment history for that. So that is one thing that's helped a lot of people. But it, it would be great if it could be counted on towards your credit because really... If you, if you can only afford one thing, keeping that roof over your head is usually what happens, so. Amy, do you have anything you want to add on the topic? Well, I mean, in Chautauqua County, 50% of the rental population is what's considered rent burdened. So that's a HUD definition that means you spend more than 30% of your income on your housing. So that's a challenge, right? Like, you know, um, that we have such a significant portion of the rental population who's struggling. And then one thing we haven't talked about is not just affordable housing, but quality housing. Yes. yes. So, you know, many of these families who are struggling to find housing, they often will take whatever they can get. And, and there are some really abysmal conditions. And unfortunately, the narrative sometimes is, oh, there's plenty of low-income housing in Jamestown. Look at, you know, look at every, look at all this. But there's, first of all, not enough. And then when you factor in any kind of quality, um, where there's not broken windows and holes in the ceiling and, you know, you, landlords are not required to give you a stove or a fridge. That's not a requirement. And so sometimes, uh, families move into apartments that don't have any appliances, and they have to make it work. I mean, these are all very real-world situations that people are living with. Um, and the, the waiting list for Section 8 housing is really long. I don't know how many weeks it is, um, slash months, slash years. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, But that's a, great, that's a great tool that exists for families who have limited income is to get a Section 8 voucher. Um, you know, that helps pay a portion of your rent. And I know people personally who, because they've gotten a Section 8 voucher, their employer has offered them more hours. Um, but they don't take those hours because they are not going to lose that Section 8 voucher because they are not going to be able to find another apartment that costs that amount that is quality for, their, for this person and her daughter. And so she continues to work very part-time because she doesn't want to lose her health insurance and she doesn't want to lose her Section 8 voucher. And, and, and her company would gladly pay her more. And she would like to work more, but it just doesn't make sense for her family. Right. You know? And that's one, one really great thing about Section 8 and other rental programs is there is an ex inspection that's required. Mm -hmm. We won't assist financially if the house doesn't pass what's called a housing quality standards inspection and it's it's pretty detailed and we're it's not only making sure that the family is safe but it's protecting the landlord against certain liability and you know there's been a stigma forever on what it means to receive section 8 i was a property or a landlord property coordinator for 5 years for coi um, with 67 rental units and this is not personal, but some of my Section 8 tenants were my best tenants. Some people that receive, you know, it, there's no definition of what receiving a subsidy or being on assistance really means because everybody's individual. But we're really working to try to remove that stigma because it's guaranteed rent every month. It's quality housing. And it's like I said, you're, you have a protection because someone made sure that that house was safe. So I wish that more programs did inspect because... Amy's right. It's, it's really awful to see what people are living in. And stable housing is also very critical to academic success. You know, I know we're not talking about education, <laughs> but when you think about what makes a student successful in school, 
if you have to move around all the time or you have a situation where the housing is not quality, it's very hard to do well in school. Are you getting enough sleep? You know, you, a lot of times these families are moving from school district to, or, to, or school to school. Oftentimes they stay in the same district, but now you're starting afresh with a whole new set of administrators and teachers and you know, you're behind potentially in the classroom because you're constantly moving from school to school in search of better housing often. And so that stable housing is really critical for academic success. And then when we talk about homelessness, you know, or mental health or substance use disorder, you know, there's a school of thought that says, you know, if you get housing first, permanent stable housing first, that becomes the foundation to work on some of those other um really like significant barriers, you know, to economic flourishing. Uh, so, so housing, you know, is, I know, we, I, what did we decide is more important? Childcare, housing, um, <laughs> it's the more, but the more you dig deeper into those layers, you know, you just sort of start to see like how, how critical it is. And then all the barriers that, that a lot of our families in Chautauqua County are facing to find it, right. you know, and let's not even get into lead. Right? Oh. So, you know, yeah. I mean, 78% of homes in Chautauqua County were built before 1979 or earlier, which means, and that's an important year because that's when lead-based paint was determined to be a health hazard and they discontinued it. So right. chances are, you know, most families are living in a home where there's lead-based paint and that's okay, but if it's in a, it's a home in disrepair or needs remediation or whatever it is, and there are there's a really strong coalition that's working on that exact issue and making sure that kids get tested and there's funds available for remediating. But a lot of families won't report um, those lead conditions um, because they're afraid they're going to lose their home. Right. We um, Chautauqua Opportunities partners with the Chautauqua County Health Department, yes. and we use contractors to remediate lead in houses with excuse me, children under the age of six. And the issue now, well, it's always been an issue, but the cost to remediate is significantly higher than anybody really imagined. But we are tackling one house at a time and trying to make those changes. So with the Healthy Housing Coalition, it's been really great work. Mm -hmm. do, do you know how much it costs to remediate a house right now? It, it all depends because it oh, can okay. be... In the siding, it could be in the windows and the doors and the flooring. Um, it just depends on the the level of lead in the house. But it's very specified work because it's not just peeling off a paint chip. It can be dust that children can breathe in, and then that has really serious long-term impacts on um, health and development and education. So, again, everything is very connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very connected. <laughs> I was going to say that, like, one of the things when we were talking about how important it is, I always, I always think back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how housing is one of the very, you know, first things that they say that people need before they can start to move up. I think, was it housing, food? So it was housing, food, and I forget the third thing that was on there. But, you know, that is, if you have housing, if you have access to food, that those are some of the basic needs you need in order to, you know, become make your way to being uh, a fulfilled person. And, you know, if, and yeah, if you don't have those, if you don't have access. So I can see how that is, prevents a lot of other things from working out. So and I, I, some people say cars are not necessarily a, uh, um, a primary need. I would say in Chautauqua County, they are. And, in fact, when James Mayor Eddie Sunquist held his public input sessions in 2021 on how to use American Rescue Plan funds, one thing I heard because I went to these meetings is that, that people said we need better public transportation here. And when it comes to barriers, um, what do you see as barriers to public transportation here or other kinds of transportation for people in poverty? And, uh, Aileen, you brought up transportation a couple times, and so I want to start with you to get your thoughts. Yes. Um, so uh, it's funny because I had just um, I was just with one of my members that uh, she works in Warren and her vehicle broke down, so she was trying to get a, a new vehicle, um, trying to just get to <laughs> to the credit union to um, complete her application was hard because she didn't have any family, any relatives here. 
so she didn't, she could walk, um, however long it would be, probably an hour walking. Um, but I even went on the website to see if uh, she could take a cart bus. But there was no cart bus around where she lived. She would have to call and request it. Um, and again, uh, if, if you don't speak English, then do they have somebody that's bilingual that can translate? I'm not sure. Um, but if you don't have transportation, how are you, how are you gonna get to work, you know? Um, especially because, it, like Amanda's saying, everything is connected, everything is tied up. There's so many employers, okay, there's jobs, but they have so many requirements, right? So the people that are looking and wanting to have a job are basically forced to take whatever they can get, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be, even if they live in Jamestown, if it's in Dunkirk or if it's in Warren, that's the only job opening that they can take, you know? So yes, they may have a temporarily form of transportation, but, you know, either they depend on other people to give them rides, you know, or if their car breaks down, there is no public transportation for them, you know. Yeah, and I think, it, I, you know, some people will say, well, what about Uber, what about Lyft, and I'm saying, but that's not public transportation per se. That's not, you know, something that's run that's a privately run mm -hmm. business, basically. Mm -hmm. So, and not necessarily cost effective mm -hmm. as a long-term solution. I know that um, our credit union has a, a program. Um, it's called the GPS program. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is some requirements that you have to meet, um, but we are able to help people uh, that have never financed a vehicle before it doesn't matter what credit you are, um, to help them get into a vehicle with minimal down payment. That's good to know. Thank you for sharing that. It's a great <laughs> program mm -hmm. and really needed because it's not just even purchasing a used vehicle. It's very expensive, mm -hmm. and there's not that many of them. Mm -hmm. So almost I think every household has to get a loan to purchase a, a used vehicle, mm -hmm. and um, having one that's high quality is really important because you don't have the money. If it breaks down, you have to fix, you know, this or that. It kind of nickel and dimes you after a while. You know, that's not usually the most cost-effective way to get a vehicle. So that program that they run at Southern Chicago Federal Credit Union really is meeting a huge need, I think, in for working families that don't have access to a vehicle or, or they don't have a down payment or they have very little credit or bad credit, even. Um, it's really important. So, and I guess, I don't know if you had anything else you want to add, uh, Amy, but also I was going to ask Amanda if you had anything that you're seeing, you know, when it comes to public transportation or just transportation issues in Chautauqua County. I'm going to share a, a story um, from our health services director, health and family services. Um, UPMC, um, the hospital in Jamestown, receives people in their emergency room from surrounding areas, including Cattaraugus and Allegheny counties. If someone is transported from Dunkirk to UPMC, which it took me about 35, 40 minutes with the traffic today, if they're transported and they're not admitted, they're stuck there. There's no way to get them back home. Um, so they, there's uh, 945 and 941 orders. So if there's a mental health crisis and the police transport them up there, they leave them there and then they go back. Um, so this is causing people to not want to access care, mental health, medical appointments. Um, we had a cab company in the county that recently closed. And thankfully, we have a few individuals that are starting cab companies, but they're one or two vehicles, so there's not, the need is not being met at this time. Um, but it really is impacting people's ability to get to what they really need on top of work, on top of getting their kids to their childcare. Mm -hmm. Say that they have a, a 
tooth issue and they need to get to the dentist and they can't, you know, they're, they're not able to get to those. So again, I know I keep saying the same thing, but it's all so connected. Mm-hmm. Um, CARTS is a Monday through Friday program and they don't do nights and weekends. Um, the cost for the Uber or the Lyft, I, that's, it's just unreasonable for most people. So um, in being in a rural area, you need to have a vehicle not only that doesn't break down all the time, but you have to have a safe vehicle to get through the snow. So there's there's a lot of barriers that people face, but I think programs like the Southern Chautauqua Federal Credit Union are so necessary because there are places that you can go to get a great deal on a vehicle and you're paying a significant amount of money for a vehicle that might not be safe, which it kind of goes back to like the payday loans or the... Um, what was the word that the you said? Yes, lending. predatory lending. So it's it's great to see programs like that because there's so much of a need that I don't think people are aware of. Mm-hmm. And you said everything's connected. My <laughs> next question was a, is about health care, including mental health care. And that is a challenge for our rural communities. And and how, do, and how does access affect people in our county? And I think, I, I mean, I say access people. I'm not even saying necessarily people in poverty. I think it affects all of us. But when it comes to people in poverty, I mean, Amanda, just to kind of keep with the thought, you gave a, a perfect example there of how lack of transportation affects health care and mental health care. And, I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen anything else from, you know, in terms of do you see enough facilities being available for people who need it? No, actually, and thank you, Jill again, for all this information. I just learned that, um, when she sent this to me, that there are no hospitals in the North County that deliver babies. So they would either either have to get to Jamestown or to Buffalo, which it's crazy to me. I didn't know that that was actually happening. Um, And there's no hospitals in the North County that are doing mental health crisis evaluations. So, again, if, if it's not close to you and you don't have the means to access it, then sometimes the choice is that you just don't. And, you know, especially with mental health, if for people that suffer from, from any, anything, anxiety, depression, the longer that it goes untreated, sometimes the worse it can get. And it affects your ability to work. It affects your ability to have relationships and communicate with people. So, there are a lot of plans in the work to get more services. Uh, we work really closely with MHA, and they want to help. They want to work with people, and I think we're on the right side of things with the partnerships that we make, but we could always use more. Mm-hmm. Amy, from... I mean, think you, I think you get into some of, like, I know that uh, the United Way's work with MHA from on ESPRI on the work, workforce development side, um, but in terms of what you're seeing with healthcare, I mean, what are you seeing in terms of access, whether, you know, being able to access it or is it people even able to afford it? What are you seeing? You know, I think um, there's a couple of issues worth maybe bringing to light. So there's, on one side, um, a lack of providers, uh, whether it's mental health or primary care. Um, so just, and again, that's sort of true for everyone who might need to access mental health or primary care services. Even that dentists. In dentists, yeah, mm-hmm. dentists, um, that's, it's just really challenging to find those. Um, and, and it's, it's typically a little bit more difficult for people in poverty who may have Medicare or Medicare, or Medicaid or Medicare, mostly Medicaid, because, you know, some providers don't take Medicaid, um, because the rates of reimbursement are lower. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes that's a, a challenge. But having Medicaid is a wonderful benefit, and we talked about this already with, with we didn't name it this, but the benefits cliff. Mm-hmm. Same situation where I may not work as many hours because I don't want to lose my health insurance because maybe my employer offers health insurance, but the cost of it to my family in monthly premiums co-pays and high deductible plans make it really not worth the extra few hours a week that I might work or the you know dollar raise that I might have been offered by my employer and so I don't take those that raise or I take the raise and I reduce my hours so that I don't lose my health insurance um, and and uh, and then you know if you overlay mental health and poverty it's sort of 
very challenging. My my husband works with um, he, in the mental health counseling field and works with a, a lot of adults and kids in poverty. And it's just like the challenges that they're facing with mental health, poverty, family support systems, you know, a, a couple of counseling appointments a, a month aren't going to solve that, you know. It's it's an important support system to have in place. It does a lot of a lot of good, but um, it's a it's an overwhelming sort of challenge to face when you kind of combine it with all of the other factors that are often at work, you know, and I especially think of children mm-hmm. in the situation. So um and, you know, this is where we can talk about food, even though it's not one of our questions. But, <laughs> but you know, like yeah. food and health are really connected. And so access to high-quality food, you know, um, food that's bad for you is cheaper. And, um, and then we do have some food deserts in Chautauqua County where it's hard to find um, fresh, healthy food. And that the long-term impacts of eating that way negatively impact your overall health, and and so there's you know there's a lot of just connection between. I know we've said this multiple times, but I think it's important to realize the complexity and the interwovenness of all of these issues because then when we think about solutions um, or ways to reduce poverty, I think they have to be equally interwoven and 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 complex because. The issues are, you, you don't, if you just solve childcare, it's like whack-a-mole. The other one will come up, you know, yeah. and then you're just spending all your time, you know, doing this, 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 and not really making people's lives better. Um, so, I don't know, we probably didn't go enough into healthcare and mental health, but um, it's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, and I, I want uh, Alias a chance to, uh, you know, respond. I mean, when it comes to Healthcare. I mean, and access to healthcare, and I guess even if you want, we want to include access to healthy foods in that as well. Um, what are you, what are your experiences and what and what you've seen in the community? Well, I've I've seen that, uh, for example, um, parents having to take their kids outside of Jamestown, all the way to Erie, all the way to Dunkirk for dentist appointments, okay? Um, If they have a job and don't have transportation, how are they going to get their kids to their dentist appointment? So then their kids are going to go without dental checkups, you know? Um, And it's it's bad for their health and, and... Actually, them, you know, their looks, you know, for them to to grow up feeling confident, you know, um, that they have a good set of teeth, you know. Um, I've seen a lot of people that have health issues where they have to go to Buffalo like once a week. Um, If they don't have a vehicle, um, I understand that I believe there is transportation for them to go. I'm not sure how that is set up so that way that if they have um, so many appointments, they can actually get to their appointments with that transportation. But um, it is a problem that I've seen, but it's related to also transportation, where I work, how I've seen it. That whole interconnect. I think we can overuse the phrase interconnectedness because yes. everything is so interconnected. Mm-hmm. And I, I, we had one more question. We even had an audience question, but we are at the end of the hour already. And I want to quick just before I do a sign off, if you, all three of you, starting with Elia, if you can give a how to contact where you work. So, um, Elia, how do people reach out to Chautauqua County? Federal Credit Union. Okay, so I work at uh, our Jamestown branch on 2nd Street. Um, Our phone number is 716-665-7000, really easy. Um, (laughs) My extension is 1350. Um, I'm a loan officer. I'm a notary public. Um, We also, I know tax season is over, but we also uh, prepare taxes for our members for free. So, yeah, just give me a call. Um, I can help you build your credit, rebuild your credit, get 
get you into a car. Um, Great. And uh, Amanda, uh, how can people reach uh, COI? www.chautauquaopportunities.com. We also have Facebook, Instagram, and I'm probably missing something else. Our Dunkirk office is 716-366-8176, and Jamestown is 716-661-9430. We're open 830 to 430, Monday through Friday. And Amy, how can the United Way be reached? Um, I would visit our website, which is www.uwaycc.org, but I feel like I just need to say one quick closing remark, and I'm probably out of time. But um, but Southern Chocolate Federal Credit Union and COI, they have programs and supports and services for families, you know, to build credit, to, to get a home, to have home ownership classes, to find affordable housing. These programs exist, so I don't want us to leave this conversation feeling hopeless or powerless mm-hmm. to make changes to, you know, people who are struggling. And 211, which is something that the United Way supports, is a number that is 24-7. You can text, and you can find help for a number of different issues. They will connect you to an agency or a program that meets the need that you have, whether it's in mental health, finding a health care provider, Finding a food pantry nearest you, that's 211. So there's a lot of people who care really deeply about this community and are working really hard to make it a better place and lifting people out of it. Let's maybe end this on a hopeful note that there's still lots of possibility for people to, to not just survive but also, like, flourish. Thank you for that. And also thank you to all of you for participating in this panel tonight. So, And thank you to our audience who have tuned in. You will be able to view this presentation again online for free on our YouTube channel and on WRFALP.com. On behalf of WRFA, the Reginald A. Center for the Arts, and Cranky Play Productions, thank you for being with us tonight.